Good morning. So now I have to be a super nice guy. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, no pressure. Well, I am so glad to be here. Um, this isn't my first, turn, first time to this church. Uh, actually, um, I'm part of a ministry here in Jacksonville called Jack's BCM, uh, which is a ministry through the Florida Baptist Convention. But basically, what we do is we try to reach college students. Uh, we try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. We try to disciple them, and we try to get them plugged in to a local church. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, when I came into this position, Pastor Andrew was coming here. And so we were both newbies. Uh, I'm still a newbie. Uh, I'm sure he's seasoned and, and all that. But, um, you know, when we both came in, God had obviously just done something special because he was part of a BCM and college as well and just had a heart for it. And, uh, man, your church, if you don't know it, has been a huge blessing to me. Um, when COVID happened, it was really difficult because uh, you can't meet on campus, really. Um, and if you can, you got to stand, you know, far away. And it was really crazy. And your church and Pastor Andrew was so gracious to open up the gym and let us meet. And I think we have some pictures of the BCM a little bit um, to show you. So here's some of our students we have. I think I have a gym picture. There's a couple more. Yeah, so there is some students. And so anyways, what we do is we, uh, there's the gym. And so we, our goal is to reach students uh, but we're not the church. We, we make that very clear. We're not, you come to Tuesday night, this is not your check off the church. We, we, we totally believe in the local church. I was a youth pastor before I came in this position. I attend a church. I teach Sunday school. Um, I have somebody filling in for me this morning. So I love the local church. And I love Pastor Andrew's heart for the gospel. I love Kyle. And he is a super nice guy as well. And so um, it's been a, such a blessing. So I just want to thank you guys for just stewarding your resources and allowing us to benefit for the kingdom, and uh, churches need to have a kingdom mindset, and I believe that you guys do, and so I just really appreciate that. Um, this morning, we are going to be in Luke 15. Uh, we're going to be going through the prodigal son, so as you turn there, I want to introduce my family. Now, before I introduce my family, happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, let me tell you, uh, fathers don't always have the right answers, and I'm saying this of um, what happened to me yesterday. Last night, my wife came to me and said, I think our son is sick. And I said, he's been playing all day. He's fine. She said, maybe we should take him to urgent care. And I'm like, no. So guess what came in my room about 1 a.m. this morning with a fever? My son. And so my wife and my son and one of my daughters is uh, at home right now. And then my other daughter's here. So let me introduce uh, my family to you real quick. So down low is Haven. She's eight years old. And to the right of her is Jordan, which she's actually here, and she's seven. And then my son, Deacon, is six years old, and my beautiful wife is there. We've been married for 10 years. And so uh, I show that to you about family, and I'm, I'm very blessed um, to have an awesome family. But I don't know about you, but before, if you're married or if you have a family, I knew a lot of things about how to have a family and be married before I got married and had a family. Now, I could tell you before I got married how easy it was to be a parent. Before I had kids, I could tell you how to raise your kids the right way and what to do. Before I had kids, I could tell you how to listen to your kids. It's just one size fits all, right? Isn't that how it works? 
Before I had kids, I could tell you how to disciple your kids and I could tell you all the best ways. Now, after eight years of being a parent, I'm all ears, like anything. You got anything, please come talk to me. Listen, I'm all ears. I need help, advice, suggestions, therapy. Please bring it all to me. I need help. Uh, you know, being a parent is difficult. It's really rewarding and it's really humbling because of what you come to learn. And what I came to learn as a parent is it's not what I expected before I had kids. Parenting was not what I expected before I had kids. This morning, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. And if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to get into it. Um, and we're going to read it in a minute. However, this morning, I'm going to zoom in. I want to zoom in on not so much the sons, but the father of the story. And look at God's heart. I want you to look at God's heart for the two boys in the story. And what I want you to see this morning is something you might not expect about God. You know, if I was to grab a mic and I was going to walk around, I'd ask, hey, tell me what you think about God. I'm sure we'd all have different things. And, and all of us probably being good Christians, we'd say good things like God is righteous. God is loving. God is just. God is holy. But I wonder if we didn't have a mic, but we had a mind reader. And we got to see some of your thoughts about God. And you would say some of those things, but maybe you wouldn't want to share some of these. Maybe you think God is judgmental. Maybe you feel like God is far off. Maybe God doesn't come through. Some of you would never say this, but maybe you think, God hates me. You know, A.W. Tozer says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when you think about God? This morning, what I want to show you from the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus tells this about God the Father. And I want to show you something that is so amazing that God has been showing to me personally in my life. As God has been undoing things in my life and showing these places in my heart where I don't really understand who God is, where those things and thoughts creep in. And I see Jesus telling this story, and it's so exciting, and I'm so excited to share it because it is something I've been working through personally. And so what I want to show you is that the Father is a Father of kindness, compassion, mercy, and love. And I want to show you how understanding that view that God is that helps you navigate this life. My goal today is that you'll be refreshed, be reminded, and renew with the love of the Father and your view of God. And listen, and God's view of you. My goal for the person who's here and they don't know God, they don't have a relationship with God, is that they would see his love and longing arms out to forgive and restore relationship. So the story about the prodigal son shows us the father's heart. Let's get into Luke 15. We're going to read 11 through 32. Here it goes. It says, and he said, Jesus is talking. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all we had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in to his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what are these things meant? And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattest calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. God, what an honor it is to preach this morning and preach your word. God, get me out of the way. Spirit, help me to preach you. Show us you, God. Show us your heart. Show us Jesus. Lord, everyone comes into this building with different stuff. Holy Spirit, you know it. Comfort, convict. Dwell us up in our heart to think about heaven, to think about our Father. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What I want you to see is I want you to magnify your glass and let's look at the father. First, we see this younger brother and he asks for his inheritance, which essentially he's saying, I want your money, but I don't want your relationship. Guys, as a father on Father's Day, if you're kids and maybe this is one of you, there's nothing more hurtful and painful to know that your son wants what you can give but not who you are. The years it takes as a father to sacrifice, to raise a trial, child, and then to be cast aside and said, give me your money and get out of my life has to be heartbreaking for this father to hear. Also, if we know anything about an inheritance, don't we give an inheritance when someone dies? So essentially the son is looking at his father and says, I want you dead. Give me your money. 
And look what the father does. The father gives it to him. He doesn't disagree. He doesn't get in a fight with him. Even though his son has taken away the money that he still, he is still in his father's savings account. He goes and he says, I want your money. Next, we see the younger brother. He goes on a sinning spree. I mean, anything his mind could think of, he was going after it. And the younger brother had dreams of sinful passions and his aim was to experience it all. Let's put it into modern terms. This is like picking your dad up at his house, driving him to the bank, holding his hand and helping him sign the check of his savings and giving it to you. You buy a ticket to get on a plane to Las Vegas and going crazy. You gamble, you drink, you do drugs, you get girls, you do all these things until every fleshly craving is satisfied and you run out of money. And the younger son here is exhausted. Everything he desired to have in the world, and where does it lead him? Exhausted. He's enjoyed his flesh, he's enjoyed his sin, and where does it lead him? It leads him to feeding pigs. It leads him to being jealous of food that the pigs are getting. It leads him to hunger, not just on the outside, but on the inside. He's broken financially, but see something here, he's also broken spiritually. We see this was his desire. He wanted to have the food of the pigs. And he was a Jewish boy with an unclean thing. And basically he's saying, religion's out the window. I don't care. I've got nothing. I got nothing. Just give me some food that the pigs are eating. The younger brother is spent. I wonder if you've ever been there. Spent. You got nothing. We see he has nothing left that he can take or give. And he begins to think about his dad, the dad that he took from. The dad, he looked in the face and said, I wish you were dead. The dad, he didn't want a relationship with. And he thought, maybe, just maybe my dad will take me back. Not as a son, I know that's out of the question. There's no way that can happen. But maybe a servant. If I'm a servant, I don't have to worry about food. I would at least live. In his mind, a relationship with the father, that's, that was given a long time ago. There's no way that's coming back. But he might give me some work so I won't die. Now stop and let's zoom in. Where's the dad in the next part? Any dad who has been robbed by their son, denounced for dead, and been thrown away would have had some type of feelings about their son. They would have been bitter, angry, mad, Frustrated, but what does the father do? Before we get there, I want to read a scripture. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 gives you an insight to our heavenly father and shows that he's not like us. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. He will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. What's it say here? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You see, our God is not like us, and that's a great thing. He's not stained with sin. He's not holding a grudge. He's not motivated by power, politics, money, or agenda. His thoughts and ways are not like ours, and that is a very, very good thing. 
So when the younger son comes home, where is his father? Is he working? Is he out gossiping about his son? Man, that son was so good. And then he just denounced me, dad and left. I don't want nothing to do with him. Has he written him off? You'll never come back here. Has he quit caring about his son? Thinking about his son? Loving his son? No. The father is looking. He is watching. He has binoculars out. He is waiting and wanting, and his heart is beating, just hoping, and maybe, and there it is. His son that's far off comes walking up, head down, ashamed, and he's practicing his repentance speech. Dad, if, if, if you love me, I'm so sorry. Just please feed me. I'm a, he's hoping and wishing that the father might take him in. And well, let's see the father. The father's heart's bursting out of his chest. He breaks the rules of the current day, which is to re- walk with respect and dignity, and he takes off on a sprint towards his son. He takes off running as fast as he can. And the son goes into his repentance speech, and it's almost as the father kind of shakes it off because the love and compassion and mercy are so overwhelming that he can't stop. And he says, bring, quickly, quickly, bring the robe. Put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And then he says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The significance of the calf and the robe and the ring are very significant here. First, the robe is to cover the rags of the boy. It's to cover his shame. It's to bring acceptance and right relationship back. The ring is a ring of sonship. He's not being taken back as a servant. He is being taken back as a son. And the calf, the calf is an expensive meal that was very costly back then. It's as the father was saying, spare no expense. Kill the fatted calf. And this is where it gets personal. Because I wonder in this room this morning how this story makes you feel. If you're the father in this situation, what would you do? If we're honest, I think we'd all have different kind of feelings about this story. Some of us love this story. We rejoice in God's kindness represented in this story. But some of us might, we won't say it out loud, we might grumble a little bit because we feel like the son should have been punished. Maybe you think back to how you were parented or how you parented and you think, this boy needs some discipline. This boy needs a spanking. He needs to learn right from wrong. And I'm, I'm not throwing that out the window. I'm not saying that's wrong but don't miss the forest from the trees. Don't miss the parable about the father and the youngest son. You see, this story is your story. If you're a Christian in here this morning, this story is your story. You say, well, I don't know about that. It's getting a little crazy. I knew Andrew should have never left, right? This is your story. Ephesians 2 says it this way. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in once you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath of the rest of mankind. That sounds like the prodigal son. Listen to me. Until you grapple with the gospel that you're the one that took off from God, that you're the one that has used God for his gifts and didn't want a relationship and left him to pursue your fleshly ways, you're never going to understand how kind and compassionate God is. If you don't wrestle with the before you became a Christian, you're not gonna enjoy the after you became a Christian because it's so much mercy and so much kindness and compassion. A lot of us think that God might owe us Well, I've been in church since I was born. I've been in Sunday school, community groups. I've been in all these things. I've been on mission trips. God owes me a couple favors. My morality and goodness is pretty good. It's up there. But according to the Bible, you never had any goodness or morality. You've always been dead. You've always been in your sin. You've always been loving your flesh. And you've always been following the God of this age, which is Satan. So let's step back for a minute and let's relook back in the gospel. In our hearts, we don't really understand how lost we were before we came to Christ. We don't understand how close we were to eternity forever in hell because of our sins that were rightly going to be punished. We don't think about how we deserve that, that we deserve punishment for our sin. Until you understand that you're the prodigal, that you're the wretched, that you're the poor, you're the lost, you're the disobedient, you're the worshiper yourself and not God, until you get that, the forgiveness and grace is not going to impact you. And you'll use God and you'll forget the relationship. And it will be just words and not life for you. But God... He's a God of compassion. He's a God of love. He's a God that is so overwhelmed with love for you that he couldn't just sit and let you go to hell. He couldn't just stand by. You deserved it. We deserved it. I deserved it. But he is a God that though your sin against the holy God deserved hell, he said no. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus comes. And Jesus lives the perfect life. He dies for your sins, to take your place, to run to you and to say, I love you, I want you, I desire you. I'm doing everything I can to bring you back in relationship. We see this in a familiar verse, John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We always forget 17 though. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What I want you to know about God is God is a God that wants you. God is a God that wants you. He desires a relationship with you. He doesn't want a religious experience or he doesn't want your performance. He wants you. 
Not for you to rum up and say, God, look what I've done. I've gave this, I've done this. Will you, be, will you love me now? Don't want that. Listen, God wants the real you, not the mask you, not the put on. He wants the raw, personal, genuine relationship with you. But you see at the beginning of this passage, it says in Luke 15, one through two, it says there was another type of people that Jesus was talking to. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's my question. Why does it seem like the sinners of this day always, are always coming to Jesus? They're always flocking to him. Why? This is why. The sinners of the day that showed the outward sin, they knew that they couldn't fit into a religious system. They knew they had no hope. They've exhausted their sin and they're empty. And they're there. They pursued their earthly desires and they came up short and now thirsty. They're hoping and thinking maybe, just maybe, just maybe this Jesus is different. Just maybe, just maybe he will accept us. He'll listen to us. He'll hear us. He will want us. If you ever watch Survivor shows, I love watching Survivor shows. They always have a good episode of somebody in the ocean that's lost in sea. And usually, if they pass away, it's usually because of dehydration. They die because they don't have enough water, which is ironic, you know, because they're literally, literally surrounded by water. But the problem is there's salt in the water, which dehydrates them. So what they need is water that doesn't have salt in it. But I'm sure what happens if you're in that situation is you just want to taste some water. So you probably dip your hand into the water and put the salt water on your lips. But what you're looking to satisfy ends up making you more dehydrated and kills you faster. You see, this is how sin acts in our life. Our sinful nature cries out to be filled. We want our sexual desires to be filled. We want drunkenness. We want pride, greed. We want all these things. We want sometimes morality. We want everybody to know how good we are. We desire to love the world and the things in the world. This is what the prodigal son was after. But we see it on the news and on social media time and time again. Celebrities, actors, musicians, CEOs are always left empty, wanting. They keep trading vices of sinful habits for other sinful habits. Salt water for other salt water. Salt water for other salt water. And they're left empty. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the only one that can quench your soul. Period. You know why? It's because you were made for him. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this. For by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, listen to this, and for him. Created by him and for him. Revelations 4.11 says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you will they exist and were created. Listen to me, guys. You will see, you will never, and I mean never, be satisfied until you realize Jesus is the puzzle piece that fits in your heart. Jesus said this to a woman who was caught in adultery. 
And he sees her out at this well. She's thirsty. She's coming to get some physical water. And Jesus has some other plans. He says this, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What I want you to see this morning is that God's love and his kindness is what you need to navigate this life. Don't be sucked in by this world and believe that if you just have this, if I can just get this, they say happiness is always 30 days away, right? Then you'll be satisfied. Then I'll get it. Jesus says, look to my love. Let me love you genuinely raw in a relationship and let me satisfy your every desire. Here's something God's been teaching me too. You know what God is? God's a God of the messy. He's a God of the broken. He's a God of the divorced, the drug addict, the sexual broken, the prideful, the adulterer, the CEO who tries to earn his goodness through his money. That's our God. You, you say, well, I don't know about that. Read Matthew 1 and Jesus' genealogy. That's interesting. Jesus is pointing to that he's a God of the broken, which is ever all of us. And we have to draw into his kindness. Romans 2, 4 says this, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see, when you see how beautiful God is, how loving his is, you want that relationship. And you're, of course, right? It's like, going. do I choose Adventure Landing or Disney World, right? Like, of course, you're gonna go to somewhere that's better, has better rides, a little bit more expensive, right? You're gonna go there. That's the beauty of Christ. When you understand how big and how awesome and how amazing and how holy and how kind and how loving he is, nothing compares. I'm gonna run to him every time. And that's what he wants you to do. You see, this picture of the prodigal son is not just a one-time thing. We come to Christ to receive salvation, but we also will come to Christ every time we sin. Every time we choose other things and we choose not God. We see the Father looking, wanting us to come back. We often do this. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this. When I sin, and I, I don't know, I'm not Pope, so I do sin. So we often sin, but when we sin, we try to punish ourselves. You ever done that? Try to punish yourself and say, well, I'll wait about two or three days till I can read my Bible and pray, and then I'll come back in to the Father. Now, we, we say we believe the gospel. We say we believe in Jesus, but we, we feel this weight of punishing ourselves. And we almost think that it's a godly, moral thing to do. But isn't that anti-gospel? Isn't that anti-Jesus? Listen, Jesus paid for it all on the cross. That feeling you have after you confess is not from the Lord. If you put your faith in him and relationships are stored, that's from the enemy keeping you away from your God that has arms open. One millisecond after you sin and ask for forgiveness, you are back in relationship with God because of Jesus. Don't punish yourself. That's an enemy strategy to keep you away from loving God and being on mission for God. Don't fall for that. One millisecond. Now, there are consequences, right? I get that. But your relationship with your father has already been paid for by Christ. You don't have to punish yourself. I had to learn that. Because every time I sin, I would feel like, oh, well, there's two or three days. I don't want to talk to you. You want to talk to me? Do you see the story? Arms open, binoculars out. Please, please, please. I want you. I want a relationship. That's our God. 
And we see this in Christ. I love this scripture in Romans 5, 21, 22, when my sin feels so weighty. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. It says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see that? When you're tempted to run and say, I've sinned, I've sinned. Do you see that? Where sin increases, grace increases even more. You are covered in Christ. His kindness and his love and his forgiveness through Christ has covered you. Listen, I know there's a temptation from the enemy. I know what he tells you because he tells it to me. You're not a good mom. You're not a good dad. You're not a good son. You're not a good daughter. You're not a good student. You're not a good worker. But what I want you to see is that's from the enemy. You're constantly feeling like you're letting God down. But let this story change the thought of how God views you. Let this story remind you that you're safe in your father's arms. That he wants you. That God knows you can't be perfect because of your sin. God knows you struggle and that's why he sent. Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of the prodigal son. Yes, he ran towards brokenness and sin and depravity, but not to enjoy it, to pay for it, to sacrifice his life for it. We who have no hope, no way out, no way to come back to relationship, Jesus came and lived the perfect life in our place so that we can have relationship with God. Jesus lived the perfect life so you can not only be forgiven, but you can receive from the Father not only his forgiveness, but his approval. On the cross, your sins were paid for, but listen to this. Jesus' righteousness was also given to you. The perfect life he gave you, he, he lived, he gave you on the cross. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says it this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that verse because it just doesn't say, God will put up with you then. God will welcome you in his presence, but you stand in the corner. It says you became the righteousness of God. Did you know if you're in Christ, you're righteous? Well, well I got this, righteous. It's imputed to you. Jesus lived the perfect life on the cross. He died for your sins and he gave you the life he lived on this earth. So God looks down at you and he says, this is my son or daughter who I am well pleased. You say, well, I don't deserve that. Exactly. But Jesus bought it for us. So you are safe in the father's arm. So run to him. There's another, another part of this story, which is the older brother. The older brother is mad. You see him being disrespectful to his father. And he's left with harsh feelings how the father took back this sinful young brother. The point here is that the older brother thinks he deserves all this. He thinks, I've earned it. And he probably thinks that his father, father is dumb and easily manipulated, taking back this sinful younger brother. But the sad part of this story is the older brother fails to see his need for his father as well. He fails to see his own sin. 
his pride has blinded him. You see, the older brother in his heart has pride, greed, and doesn't see his own sin. Listen, the older brother needs to come to the father just like the younger brother did. You see, some people have a hard time forgiving people or giving grace to others. But I'll be honest with you, that's usually an indicator that they don't understand how much God has forgiven them and given grace in their life. When you lack forgiveness for others, you reveal that the forgiveness you received wasn't that big of a deal. Matthew 9 shows the heart of this older brother. It says, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collector and sinners? But when he had heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I've come to not call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, this kind, loving, compassionate father is willing to forgive. But until you realize you need his forgiveness and mercy, you'll miss it. So ending here, how do you view God? How has this story helped to maybe change that view? And I'm just gonna be honest, I know that our views are sometimes developed And the enemy put strongholds in us that has happened in our childhood and stuff that has changed the direction of how we view God. And what I would say is come to the Lord and ask him to change it back to a biblical way of looking at him. But how do you feel about God forgiving this younger brother? If it makes you mad, why? You think you don't need forgiveness? You don't think you need grace? How does God's kindness lead you to repentance? How does knowing that God made you for himself help you to see that he's the only one that complete you and complete you? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would tell you the Bible tells us that we're all the younger brother and the older brother. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short and we all deserve eternal death in a place called hell. That's where we are at. But this God... This father's heart loves you. He came running after you, sent Jesus to come and die for your sin on a cross. God desires a relationship with you. But you have to accept your part, that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness. Don't be like the older brother. Turn, turn to Christ, ask for forgiveness, and he'll forgive you. He'll not only forgive you, he'll give you his perfect life. You'll become a child of God, but you must go to the Father and receive forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Go ahead and bow your head as we pray. And just knowing and trusting God's word that the Holy Spirit's moving in here this morning, giving you a second just to hear from him. What is God talking to you about? What's he saying in your heart? What's he telling you about himself? Maybe you're in here and you beat yourself down because of a sin and you think, I'll I'll never be able to pay it back. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus took that sin, he paid for it. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with today because you don't have a father and Father's Day is hard for you. And honestly, I know it seems like I prepared this for Father's Day. I actually didn't. I told Kyle earlier, it's so funny that God kind of 
work this out. But let the heavenly Father's heart remind you of how good God is and how loving. And even if you have an amazing earthly father, he fails to compare to this heavenly father who loves you. And you are here on purpose and God loves you and he is coming after you. There's no coincidences. God has brought you here. If you need to receive Christ, man, you can do that. Me and Kyle will be out there um, and you can talk with us. But just wanna tell you guys that, man, God had put this on my heart to preach probably a month ago. And uh, I know that God has this message for someone. And I know one of them, one of that person's was me. And it's been so kind to see God's heart. So let me pray for us and then um, we'll let Kyle lead us. Lord, I thank you for who you are, for your goodness and your love for us. I'm so glad that your ways are not our ways and that you're different and that you're holy and that you're loving and you're so generous. Lord, I just pray that you would um, work in us, that today was just be a start of growing deeper in relationship with you in your heart. Lord, if someone doesn't know you, I pray that they would turn and believe the gospel. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for letting them leverage their resources to be about the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be over Pastor Andrew as he leads, be over this congregation, and let them impact this world for Christ.